Welcome to Hope Community Podcast. It's great to have you join us today listening online. We pray you'll be impacted by our message this week. Enjoy. I I don't think I've ever felt more welcome at a church. It's pretty cool. And I actually think I mean that. So that's... that's, uh... (laughs) Can I I just get this lifted a little, if it does lift? Thanks. Um, Very cool. Thanks. Oh, that's awesome. I can see. I'm starting... Well, I can see, but um, as you get older... <coughs> Excuse me, just you might put the first slide up, we might start the, the thing. No, we do feel welcome, and it's always a little, you never know what you're going to get when you come to a church, do you? <laughs> and um, and uh, Denise and I, at the moment, are going to quite a conservative Anglican, but we used to be in a very charismatic Baptist like this. I don't know, I'm, not, I'm putting you in a hole, but I, I don't know what you are really, but... <laughs> In the late 1980s, and um, and I can waffle, and I should stop. <laughs> you look like a good bunch. Hey, this whole idea of connection is really getting me lately. Really getting me. I just spent. Um, uh, yes, we're going to look at Ephesians 2 as our scriptures um, in a moment. If you want to get that out, but first of all, just looking at the next slide. Thanks. Um, I just spent uh, just over three weeks in the Balkans. Has anybody been to the Balkans? Anybody here? Do you know where they are? Now, I give you permission to look at your phone and just, uh, you know, like get Google Maps out and type in Albania or something like that. But beware, I'm a, I do one day a week teaching and I know, I know when you're on Facebook Marketplace, so... <laughs> I can, I can actually see it in kids' eyes. I'm very good at it. So, but I like, I'm a, I like geography, and um, it, it always puts things in a good spot. Now, here's a picture of Mostar Bridge. As I said, I, I led a team around the Balkans, uh, starting in Albania, and most of the Balkans is full of Slavic countries, such as Croatia, Croatia, uh, We've got Bosnia, Herzegovina. Uh, who else we got? We've got, um, uh, sorry, Macedonia and others, Bulgaria. They speak mainly Slavic languages. And this, this bridge, it's very interesting. It's called the Mostar Bridge because it's in Mostar. Now, in, which is in a country called Bosnia, Herzegovina, which has only existed for a short time before it was in Yugoslavia, before that broke up. And many of you may have followed those wars in the 90s, and the very complicated wars, little factions fighting all over the place, and and quite hard to understand. But during that time in in Mostar, there were two main groups. The main groups were the Croatians and the Bosnians. It was about just over 40,000 of each, and, you know, the, the whole region is breaking up. And before that time, they got on quite well. Now, the Bosnians are are Muslim, uh, probably fairly nominal in some ways, and the Croatians are Catholic, Catholic Christian. It's good to know because the Serbians are Orthodox Christian and their identity is is tied to what nominal faith they have, even if they don't practise the faith. But there was a massive war then about in this town and when we were there, even the place we stayed still had bullet holes 
all through the house. And about 2,000 people died. And we went to this bridge. You can actually go to this bridge. It was, it was blown up in about, I think it was 92 or 93. Um, the, most people say it was the Croatians. I think the Croatians might say it was someone else. It doesn't really matter. And this bridge connects the two sides of the town. It connects the Croatian side to the Bosnian side. And remember beforehand, they sort of got along. But now there's people who've never gone to the other side of the river. They're totally separated, unreconciled. And when we were there, we went to this bridge and we just crossed over and went to the tourist place. But there were people there who would stop halfway and say, no, I'm not going over. And so for their whole life, they've refused to cross the bridge. I thought, man. And this whole thing of, of just people needing not only reconciliation with God, that restored relationship, but reconciliation with each other. This, this place is just so broken. And, and if you look at uh, Ukraine, Russia, imagine the generations of separation and bitterness that's going to happen there. And the, and the same in where you guys have been, which I'm totally not an expert on. Um, so I, I'm very slow to make a comment. But, the, you know, the heartache. My, my dad was a prisoner of war in Japan. And um, so I grew up um, with that. He was in Nagasaki when, when, the, when the bomb went off. And so all my life I grew up with a man who was... was, was um, Bitter, damaged. In some ways, that damaged me. This whole lack of reconciliation, it destroys. And when I think of a missionary passage, what do you normally think of? When I go somewhere, they're expecting Matthew 28 or Genesis 12, you know, and I, I get a bit tired of that, you know. <laughs> the more I read this passage, we're going to Ephesians 2. Oops. Um, next slide, thanks. I think I've got... Oh, oh, no, no, we're not. Yes, we are in a moment. Leave that slide there. I'm going to read Ephesians 2. And you'll see, man, this is a missionary passage. This is a real missionary passage. Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you who are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Very good. Next slide, thanks. We're going back. Yes, there we are. Here's a picture of a cornerstone. Now, I was first drawn to this passage, I must confess, okay, because I was, I was having a thing about architecture and learning all about it, and I thought, where's architecture in the Bible? And I just you know, did some stuff and went, you know, keystone, cornerstone, and I thought, found Ephesians 2. And I thought, what is a cornerstone? And here's a, here's a picture of one. Um, and that is in Jerusalem somewhere, and you guys who have been there may have seen the actual cornerstone, okay? And some say that you can actually find the original cornerstone of the temple. Next slide, thanks. There's another picture. You can see a cornerstone. That's not a cornerstone on the, on the right, but it's this whole idea of a cornerstone being used to set out a building, and we know that Jesus is our cornerstone. And on the left, you can see that uh, you know, a cornerstone now in, nowadays, in the past, a cornerstone was used, you know, because you need a big stone <laughs> so you know where to put the building. Um, today, they use other methods, but often a building will still have a little cornerstone, like a, just, just as a, a symbol. Like, like many, many buildings do. But where does this idea come from? First of all, when the scriptures mention a cornerstone in the New Testament, it's coming from the Old Testament. Psalm 118, sorry, Psalm 118 first mentions it. And in Matthew 21, verse 42, Jesus quotes it. Um, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone this is from the Lord, and it is marvellous in our eyes. So we've got a saviour who was rejected. He's our cornerstone. And I find it, I sort of find it nice. That <laughs> sounds bad, but um, I don't know. If I had a saviour who wasn't rejected, I'd be going, well, how does he know how I feel? <laughs> you know, Th- this Christ who is rejected totally is, is the one we follow. And it sort of draws me to him. Um, It's the basis of our faith. Isaiah 53, one of the servant songs. There's four of them in in Isaiah. 53 is probably my favourite. You know it. 53 verse 3. He, Jesus, was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Jesus was rejected. His father rejected him, you know. Um, the night of his arrest, Jesus was very sorrowful, sor- sorrowful, even to death. He was in such anguish that he started to sweat blood. And, you know, in crying out, you know, my father, sorry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, I find that it's hard to understand, isn't it? It's very hard to understand. He, he's not crying out, why am I in such pain? He's crying out, you know, father. Where have you gone? Where have you gone? Now, to understand this cornerstone thing, I actually found a a blog written by a man who visited Jerusalem. And so I'm just going to read it. It, It's really interesting. And 
and it's a story that illustrates how the, those reading the scriptures when they were written understood this whole idea of a cornerstone that had been rejected. So I'm reading, uh, it's a blog by a man who visited um, the Holy Land. A few years ago, we had the privilege of visiting the Holy Land, along with all the amazing things we saw and heard were two unique places in old Jerusalem that made a lasting impression on me. One was the garden tomb and the other was the stone the builders rejected, which lies under the Temple Mount. It has a unique history. When Solomon was building the first temple to God, there was to be no noise. The stones were to be hewn in the quarry and brought to the place of construction. One of the stones was the largest stone. Um, It weighed 500 tonnes. It's a miracle of engineering that without the use of earth-moving machinery, the Israelites were able to haul this rock to the temple site and set it in place. Once there, the builders weren't sure what to do with it. It didn't seem to fit anywhere in the blueprints for the temple. So the builders pushed it over the Temple Mount into the Kidron Valley, and there it lay. Later they realised their mistake and hauled it back up again. They placed it... Yeah, good luck. (laughs) They placed it in the foundation of the temple, and it remains on the western wall of the Temple Mount to this day, close to the location of the Holy of Holies. You know, in Jesus' time, people knew about this stone, and... If you, re- if you read further what people say, some people aren't actually sure if this is actually true. <laughs> but in their minds it is. This stone, uh, the stone that the builders rejected, forms the basis of the temple, just as he forms the basis. Now, the spiritual temple. Jesus is the basis. Let's go back to the scriptures. We are in the scriptures, but um, just looking at... Um, Verses 11 to 13 again, talking about, let's just read them again because that would be very good to do. 11 to 13. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Let's just read on. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Without hope and without God in the world, And then it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Oh, there it is. Wow. It doesn't, um, when I first, when I've, you know, been reading that over the years, it hasn't seemed that special to me, to be honest. I'm going, well, the church exists, we're in. But back then, you think what it meant. You think what it meant. There's five things that, that caused exclusion for the Gentiles They weren't, in many people's minds, in yet. You know, they were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel. They were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. They were without hope and without God in this world. And that's how people are. If they're not in, they're without God and without hope. That's how people remain. And, uh, you know, Paul... Paul boasts in Philippians 3, 4. If anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, 
faultless. There he is, Paul. And then what happens to Paul, this man? He becomes a light to the Gentiles, bringing salvation where? To the ends of the earth. And just breaking this whole idea that, um, you know, that Jesus is just for a few or that God is a tribal God. You know, God's not a tribal God. He's just not the God of the Israel tribe or, or our tribe here. Um, he's the God of every tribe. Every tribe that doesn't know him, he's still their God. And it's really good to think about peoples who seem excluded. We might just go forward a bit. Thanks on those slides to the, the Dalit ones. Th thank you. I think many of you would know um, many people groups that seem excluded. The Dalit's a, a, a good example, and I, I think some of you know of the Dalit in, in India, uh, part of he, uh, the Hindu caste system, where different groups in society are viewed of different levels of, of honour or whatever. But in Christ, we are all the same. And these people who seem excluded from their own society can be brought in to the, the society of the kingdom of God, our, our, our society, our group. So many peoples are excluded. Next slide, thanks. The, the Circassians. Now, I'd give you a minty if I have some, if someone can tell me. Where are the Circassians? Can someone tell me where the Circassians are? Russia. Russia. Very good. Yeah, you could buy yourself some minties afterwards. Um, and... and um, Actually, they used to be in Russia, unfortunately. They were persecuted. They're actually a Muslim group. They were persecuted and, and had to flee Russia. And now they're in actually quite a few countries. There's about 250,000 of them in, in Jordan uh, with no known believers. Unfortunately, that, you know, in their minds, you know, they, they were, had to flee their country Largely because of, yeah, because of the Russians, but also supported by the Russian Orthodox Church. So what are they thinking in their heads when there's missionaries who go there who try to reach them? You know, what, do, what are they thinking? You know what they're thinking. There's about two or three workers amongst them in Jordan. Okay? But as far as we know, no believers, people that are excluded. Now, we can get away with thinking, well, they're all overseas, but... I don't know, in our society, peoples are excluded and feel like they cannot come into church. Even normal people. Oh, that sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> you know, I was putting my, myself in the category of a normal person, um, which is, if you know me, that's just not true. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I grew up in a basically a totally non-Christian family in Tamworth and knew nothing, almost nothing of God or Christ. And when I was at university, I thought, I'd better get a Bible just to check out this thing. And I remember thinking, where do I get a Bible from? And I walked past a Christian bookshop in Newcastle. I, I remember it so clearly, walking past, and then I walked past again, and I was scared to death. Scared to death, thinking, no way can I go in there. No way. And then I remember crossing the road, going to David Jones and purchasing a Good News Bible 
and rejoicing when she put it in a brown paper bag. <laughs> it's uh, not the normal story of a young man. Normally they, anyway, let's stop there. Where are we up to? Let's go, just reading the scriptures again. We're getting on to verses 14 to 18. Okay. Uh, yes, he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near, two to become one through the cross. Two to become one. So we've got the Jewish people, the Greeks or the Gentiles. Sometimes they mix them up, those words. Really important, really important. Galatians 3.28 expands it. I'm going to read that, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, where Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you think of those three categories, they may not be significant now to us because we live in, in our society who's benefited from, uh, uh, if you like, Christian mores being trans, you know, given to our societies. But just this whole idea. Imagine you're in a New Testament church and you're a slave and you're sitting next door, not next door, next to uh, your master who owns you. What's your master thinking? Oh, no, this guy is equal to me. And what, what's he going to work through? That's really hard, this hostility that's been brought down. And not we talked about Jews and Gentiles, all of a sudden they're equal. You know, those, those dirty Gentiles are brought in to our fellowship. And women, my goodness, I better stop. <laughs> you know, women and getting up and speaking, my goodness me. Awesome. But back then, these are really, really big things really big and it shows the power of the Holy Spirit to transform people for them to die you know, their pride to, to let go of their pride and bring reconciliation to to that um, yeah when you when you think of just bring that up when you think of the gospel when I think of the gospel, traditionally, I think, what's, what's the, what, why do, what do we think of when we think of the gospel? What's that present, presenting need when we talk to people? It's usually forgiveness of sins, isn't it, in our culture, correct? I think so. But, you know, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that's central, that's it. But the presenting need to many people is not that. We talk to Islamic peoples, it's often shame. And you get that in the scriptures as well. If you think of the prodigal son, you know, the prodigal son's coming back to the father. What's the father doing? He's not calling out, I forgive you, my son. He, he's covering his shame. He's hugging him, giving him elements that cover his shame. It's wonderful. Genesis 3, we often think original sin. But if you read Genesis 3, there's a lot of covering of shame there. And there's a lot of things we think about in presenting the gospel. For some people, it's fear. In Africa, most common, I saw it on many motorbikes, a little sticker that said, Jesus est plus grand que les fetish, which means Jesus is bigger than the fetishes or the, the uh, things you used to pray over to protect you and ask the spirits to protect you. Because their greatest need 
it was to escape the fear they were in. For many people, though, I think, and as I think about it more in our modern world, is reconciliation. This greatest need, one of the greatest needs we have, I think, is reconciliation, restoration of relationships, because we are so broken. And yes, man, you could talk about it all day, couldn't you? We all could, as we look around and give stories about it. Um, next slide, thanks, I think, yes. Thanks, that's a, a city in, I think I can say Turkey, that's okay. I'm not going to tell you where it is, though. It's a city I visited, um, I think it was about six years ago now, of about 10,000 people in the, in the middle of Turkey. Now, I don't know if you know much Turkish history, uh, and you can, who's on their phone? <laughs> Looking up. <laughs> if you want to want to know more detail later, you can ask me. But we, we wandered around this town praying for four days, and uh, because in this town there were no known believers, we would give out angels or New Testaments and, and sometimes pray for people. But just after the Second World War, there were around two million Armenians in Turkey, and uh, through various political pressures. And ethnic cleansing took place. Most Armenians either fled, many went to America, uh, many were killed, many were massacred. And it's often called the Armenian Genocide. Though that's debatable, depends who you ask. In this town, it was actually about 21,000 people, we walked around and it was amazing. It was amazing. People were so welcoming, so welcoming. When we first got there, we didn't know where to eat. There was nine of us. We walked in the a takeaway, which was quite large and awesome, lots of really nice food. We sat down and a man walked through the door and pointed at us, talked to the owner of the restaurant and bought food for everybody and then just left as a way of honouring guests. And, uh, and this owner of the restaurant, who was a, a town leader, several days into praying, I was, I was walking through a cemetery next to a, a mosque which used to be a church, an Armenian church, but now I've been made into a mosque. And I was just talking to this guy, and we're just looking at the graves. And there was graves there of Armenians. And he apologised. And it was over 100 years since this had happened. But some of his families were, were living in the houses of people who had been chased out. But he apologised, and his eyes were just welling up, and say, this never should have happened. This never should have happened. They were our friends. And you see, this what was that guy's need? What was that guy's need? He needed someone to, say, to forgive him and to say, you know, in Christ you can be forgiven and maybe even some Armenians to forgive him. And um, we can talk about that a lot with uh, Australia. And that's another story. But reconciliation is so, so important. It's a need. Let's read on. Um, verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Tell me, okay, not rhetorical. You can call out. This is dangerous. What's really good about having a cornerstone of a building. 
what's really good about it? I thought of five things. You could probably think of a hundred. You could just, yes. But I didn't even get that one. I'm up to six. Strength of location, yes. Any others? What's good about having a cornerstone? There's some really obvious ones. Straight walls, straight foundations. And we get that later on. The foundations of the apostles, the prophets. Okay, that's mentioned. Any others? A beginning, yeah. When you start something, there's a quote in Korean, I think, starting is halfway, you know. And um, <laughs> I think it's so true. People are just waiting. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, I've, I'll just read what I have. It's a beginning, yes. It gives us orientation, a plan. We know what to do. <laughs> um, it's the beginning of a foundation. So everything, everything depends on it. Um, everything's put up according to it. You always go back to that stone. And it sets a standard. If, if you put a, you know, a rubbish cornerstone down, people are going to build a rubbish building. <laughs> put a good one down. People like to keep up the standards. Now, the cornerstone idea, it comes from, as we said, the Old Testament, but it's mentioned a few times in, um, where are we going here, in the, in the New. Acts, we've read Matthew 21, Acts 4, 11 and 12. This Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Okay, now, salvation exists in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Interesting. Um, I might just read, go on and read 1 Peter 2, 4 to 7, which is just, just awesome. As you come to him, the living stone, so Jesus is the living stone, rejected by men but chosen and precious in God's sight, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. So all of you here are living stones. Awesome. And being built to be a holy priesthood. So all of you here are part of a holy priesthood. Um, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you're not, you're not, you know, you're not killing lambs. <laughs> you're, not, you're not giving physical even when you're giving a physical sacrifice, such as uh, your money or your time or whatever, it's spiritual. Okay, you're giving out of your heart and your love for God. And um, acceptable God to God through Christ Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture, see I lay in Zion, a stone chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? This beautiful temple that is being built. Um, the image of Christ. You know, Revelation 5.9 says that persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, okay, will be, will be um, there at the end and are part, will be part of that spiritual temple, stones in that temple. If we can go to that next slide, thanks. Um, actually, there's one. We, uh, oh, that'll do. That'll do. That'll do. We'll talk about that one, then we'll get to the next one. Here's a picture of. It's actually North Macedonia, and um, again, you need a bit of geography in your head. Okay, the Balkans. Now, 
Balkans is really hard to understand. It's a mess, as in just people groups everywhere who shouldn't be where they are. Albania is full of Albanians. Of course, that's easy to understand, isn't it? Yes. Okay. 1989, up till then, it was an atheistic, communistic state, officially. Okay, totally almost zero Christians. Now, there's 30 or 40 excellent churches in the capital city. Totally, you know, you go back to 18, you know, sorry, 1990, you'd think that was just, that's not possible. That's not possible. So praise the Lord, the cross-cultural workers did a good job. Great stuff. Um, so that's great. Now, the team leader is the guy there, top right, guy called Sungul from Korea, who I travel with around the, around the Balkans. The strange thing is Kosovo, okay, it's about 95% Muslim and Albanian. Kosovo is... The, the, if you talk to someone in Kosovo, they say, no, I'm Albanian. Okay, that's what they say. And the same as North Macedonia. One-third of North Macedonia is Albanian ethnicity, just like Mother Teresa is from uh, North Macedonia. And you ask them, they say, no, we're Albanian. We're not Macedonian. In their minds, they're living in Albania. And Sungul said, you know, he's been in Tirana for quite a few years and we visited North Macedonia. And he said, the church is planted there. The church isn't planted in North Macedonia. We visited several towns of over 100,000 people in that region with, imagine 100,000 people and the church amongst them would be the front row. That's it. That's it. And so he said, I'm moving. We need to set up here. We need to leave where the gospel has been preached and move on. And it's quite honourable. Next slide, thanks. I think. That's a guy from North Macedonia. We might just skip that. Next one. There we go. I don't know if you can read that. I'll turn around so I can read it. Just a good summary. Um, you know, it is estimated that of the 8 billion people alive in the world today, 3.4 billion of them live in unreached people groups with little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or according to Joshua Project, there are approximately 17,446 unique people groups in the world, with 7,391 of them considered unreached, over 42% of the world's population. The vast majority, 85% of these least reached groups exist in the 1040 window, and less than 3% of missionary work is done amongst these people. Just a quick statistic. I'm not a big statistic fan. But it's good to get things in perspective, don't you think? And think, um, I don't get down when I read that because I think, wow, the church has done a pretty good job, you know? You think of all the people groups around the world who do have churches and Bibles and largely, too, the sacrificial work of many people. So a lot of, you know, and, and the other thing, it works. <laughs> It's like the gospel works, you know. It's not just an intellectual, it's not just apologetics. You know, it's the Holy Spirit. And it's the scriptures. It's worked. And the world needs reconciliation. Cool. So, yeah. Now, what's... 
This is a dangerous question. <laughs> Have you learnt anything today? <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's a very dangerous... I am a maths teacher. <laughs> and um, <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> Actually, one of the biggest faults of any maths teacher is presumption. And I've seen it many times. I'm walking past a class and I'm looking... Those kids have got no idea, they're not listening, and this guy's just raving on and on and on and on. And it's always good to ask. Now, I've got three things I've learnt. And uh, uh, actually, let's, let's just stop. Tell someone next to you one thing you've learnt. One thing, okay? Permission to talk. You're so much easier than year 10. Time? Oh. Right. Okay, you can stop now. That was, that was not a good idea. <laughs> My three takeaways are, all the tribes of the earth are in. Okay? As Christ was rejected and elevated into glory, so are we. So every tribe is in. Just some of them need to be reached and told so they can come in. We are reconciled to God in Christ and our hostility to each other has ceased. What a need. Third, Jesus is the foundation of this temple, the building, this church and this fellowship. Um, it should be a holy temple a, a temple, a place that brings worship to God, honour to God, love to God and glory to God. This is a temple and... You know, I know a temple's a physical image, but we're a spiritual image of worship to God, and that's what it's about. And if anything, think of those peoples who haven't got that yet. That's why we go. I, I often think, you know, why, why am I in this business? <clears throat> Part of it is because there's no other name by which anyone can be saved. But I think what deep down motivates me is they haven't got what I've got. And it's not, it's not good. That's not good. And if they get it, you see, you see, you see the value of it, the, the, the transformation, the healing of all those broken people. I'll just pray. Gracious God, thank you. Thank you for your holy word. Thank you for Jesus, who is the cornerstone of this place and the cornerstone uh, of the, the world church, who everything is built on. Today we ask that we can continue to build upon him and make him the only cornerstone that we, we look to for, for our direction in life, for our help, for everything. We, we, again, we, we um, seek first your kingdom and put Jesus as first in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Hope Community Podcasts. We hope you enjoyed today's message and remember to subscribe to the channel to keep up to date. From everyone here at Hope Community, have the best week.